you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1800 858 858. Right now, it's time for a McCafe coffee catch up. Lovely to have a McCafe in hand. Thank you, Joey, this morning. And while rugby struggled for traction down here in New Zealand this weekend, in the north, it was a celebration of what was one of the more dominant campaigns by the international by an international team that no one will want to see at next year's World Cup. It was France's first Grand Slam in more than a decade, and they easily dispatched England to wrap up the Six Nations for another year. Scott Hamilton is a former Crusader, and after that he played nearly 150 games for the Leicester Tigers. He's now the director of rugby at Hinkley Rugby Club and very plugged into the Northern Hemisphere game. He understands it innately, and he's on the line now. It's a very good morning or evening to Scott Hamilton all the way up in the UK. Morning, mate. Morning, gentlemen. How you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. Great to catch up, and um, I love following along with your career. I'm from afar, mate. You're, you're a, a fan favourite of mine when I was growing up, and it's good to see that you're still very involved with rugby in the Northern Hemisphere. So you're enjoying your time at Hinkley? Yeah, mate, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's level four over here, so it's, um, you know, it's part time. Um, you know, the, the, there is a it's semi, well, semi pro, I sort of more quarter pro. They get a bit of, uh, beer money to play. But, um, you know, I've got, I've got a normal, I've got a normal day job. I've got to revolve everything around. But, um, no, it's good. It's, it's been, uh, been pretty job. It's been a tough, tough campaign post COVID because we lost the whole last, sort of, well, season and a half really from, uh, from COVID. So it was quite a hard, you know, transition getting back into it. Well, one thing you have a great read on, Scott, is because you played a lot of, uh, obviously, professional rugby down here, but then it went up and had a, a whole second wind of a career up in the Northern Hemisphere, and the, the styles have been contrasting, and they kind of come and go with the wind throughout the years on how contrasting the styles are, but watching the Six Nations this year, personally, I've just been struck by how electric it's been in, in phases and places, and I guess France is kind of the poster child for that. For you, what's the Six Nations been like from a viewing perspective this year? Yeah, I think it's 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 been it's been a lot a lot better watches. I mean, I you know I had a few beers watching the, the England game last night, and and it's you know obviously it's still very very attritional, um, you know. And when I first came over here, it was it was certainly that was what it was about. Almost how big you were, and and you know dominating the game line. That, that's what it was like. But I think you know the the Kiwi and the Aussie coaches that have come over in the last sort of ten years have really had a bit of a had a bit of an effect. Um, and they've you know I, I think. Um, well, you can say that's the Northern Hemisphere, I think, certainly caught up um, in the last few years. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, certainly seeing what England did to us in the World Cup. And, and it's a bit of a shame, you know, when I you know, I watched the Super Rugby back back down as well. And, you know, the fact that South Africa are no longer involved, it's it's a bit concerning um, across the line that, I, you know, we're not really getting the, the I suppose, you know, the, the inter the inter New Zealand games. There's plenty of... Plenty of um, Physicality, but you know the the I'm just a bit concerned we could potentially fall behind because we don't really going to have the the day in day out um, grind that the Northern Hemisphere teams have. Yeah, hey Scott, it's Kempi, mate. Do you, do you think um, you know with the World Cup coming up that France hitting their straps um, and the style of football that they play can honestly threaten the All Blacks and threaten the Australians, threaten the South Africans? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw what, what France did to us. Um, 
you know, uh, not so long ago. Um, I, you know, I think you know they've got really good players in in, in key positions as well. Um, Dupont at nine, and you know, he you know speaks for himself. I think they they seem to be a lot more clinical as well. You know, the the, the the French teams potentially of the past, you know, could potentially shoot themselves in the foot. But the way they did, you know, like you said, the way they dispatched of England, they, um, you know, England had plenty of opportunities, they had plenty of territory, but. You know, it never looked like France were going to lose that game at all. They looked to me like they were in total control. Mate, just I've got a burning question, um, and I've always wondered how the likes of Sean Edwards and and Mike Ford and Andy Farrell um, have had such a, I guess, transition from the game of rugby league into rugby union. What do you know? Andy Farrell being the Irish coach at the moment, Mike Ford with what he did with you know um, England and of, of obviously Bath and. And the likes of that. Um, what do they bring, like, to rugby union? You know, you, it really strikes me as in when I was up there in England that rugby was definitely s- southern um, England was full rugby, and league had no place. But these days, it seems like the league league boys are, uh, have got a massive say in what happens in rugby up there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of transition, but I mean, I suppose money's got a bit to do that and well there's, there's more money in rugby so those coaches those, those coaches are getting paid pretty well to, to share their knowledge but oh, they're obviously you know you've got to be good enough to, to get those roles and, and those guys are you know they've, they've had good roles there and you know I think the way the defence is organised in rugby league it's it's become a lot more like that now in rugby you know unfortunately there's um, a lot of games that are you know dominated by the defence at times and which means a lot more kicking and those guys you know the, the defences are so well organised, um, and and the guy, you know, there's just more athletes on the field. You know, there's well, I wouldn't say gone, but gone are the days of you know picking off the fatties in the midfield so much. You know, everyone, the, the structure of where people need to be and and what they do when they're there is is so much better, and it's a lot harder to to break teams down. And and you know those those types of coaches have you know have done a good job. Tell you what struck me is the mobility of those um, fatties and daring term that the French boys have. I mean, they they were just flying, and and it really was electric. You made a really interesting point, Scott. And we're talking to Scott Hamilton. He's immersed in the uh, Northern Hemisphere rugby scene. If you've got a question, double eight double three forum. I tell you, you made a really interesting point about. South Africa leaving Super Rugby and what that could do and how we might drop behind and where Northern Hemisphere might get a split on us in some aspects of the game. What are those aspects of the game where the North North might be pulling away? Yeah, well, I mean, I, mean, I think you know, I, I still, you know, a Super Rugby game is still, you know, it's great watching for us. You know, the skill levels. I still think the skill level in New Zealand has a, you know, a high skill level. Just being, you know, I, no, I noticed that when I first came over here, like, you know, if we we had a kick of football um, at training. You know these the English boys were bloody brilliant. You know all of them, all of them knew how to um, because you know they they brought up doing that as, as kids, just like we're brought up playing touch rugby. So you know naturally our skills tend to, uh, I feel, you know we, we're a lot better there. But obviously with the professional game, you know the the, the Northern Hemisphere's caught up a little bit in that regard. But I just think they they. The, the, the grind of a premiership season and the Heineken Cup, I just think they, they have, and, and obviously the Six Nations every year, there's a chance um, they get all these opportunities for these massive games to play. And, you know, our boys are obviously playing super rugby, but with all due respect to the Aussies, there's a, once once we start playing them, there's, you know, there can be some lopsided contests. And, you know, our guys have a, a couple of hard, you know, local derby matches. And then... Um, Heading off to play Australia again, you know, and the, the dominance we've had over Australia, we, we I just don't think we're having the 
the day in day out. Um, uh, yeah, the day in day out pressure cooker situations that these Northern Hemisphere guys are are going to be having and will do have, and it's and it could well be. I mean, I suppose it means that our guys might be a bit fresher, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I know that. I just think you know dealing with the, the travel with South Africa, you know, nothing like playing South Africa or you know in Johannesburg and those sorts of environments. All due, due respect to Aussie, it's just not the same as you know travelling to Brisbane or whatever. Yeah, like I take your point there, and I think that's a great one around the pressure cooker scenario. I mean, they just aren't getting the exposure essentially to that kind of high level competition week in week out. On France in particular, Scott, um, this is pretty incredible. I think their average age of the team they fielded to win the Grand Slam yesterday was 26, and the average test cap number was 20. So <laughs> there is so Good much. Fact. There is there is a huge ceiling that they haven't got near yet, right? I mean, how scary yeah, of a proposition does that make them for the World Cup next year? Well, I mean, I think, the French, I think people have been saying it for years, haven't they, if, if the French can get it right a bit more long-term, um, you know, they're, they're going to be going to get there. And I think, you know, I, I didn't realise that, but that's... a Obviously, the, and as I said, the, they've got good players in, in, in the core positions, which is, with any side, is really, really important. They've got good stability now. Um, you know, I think in terms of selection, they've got a pretty settled side. And whether it's, you know, if you look at the All Blacks and, and even England, for that matter, they're, they're still making plenty of changes. You'd be you'd be a uh, pretty lucky man to be able to pick a starting 15 from, you know, at the moment. There's, there's still plenty of positions up for grabs, and, and we probably, you know, in some areas don't have the depth that we would like either. Um, you know, if we are to get a couple of injuries, it would be a bit one. Whether it's, I think, you know, the French, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a very, very strong squad, and and the, and the competition for places is is, is is high as well, I suppose, because of the, the because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I it's it's going to be interesting because they're in our pool, I believe. So, um, you know, yeah. it could be the it'll be interesting to see which which is probably a good thing because that means that they'll be on the other side of the draw. So as long as we, uh, even if we were to drop it, we, well, we saw what South Africa won the World Cup having lost to us. So um, it does mean we don't have to, you know, play them until the, until the final. I, I assume that's how the draw works anyway. Hey, Scott, have they un- the French unearthed a, like a junior that we you know, need to keep, a, I guess, our ear to the ground um, leading into next World Cup that we haven't seen yet? Um, I, yeah, I don't follow it. <laughs> I don't follow that close, mate. But, um, I mean, obviously, I've been yeah. I, I watch the games like anyone else, but I, in, in terms of the, um, the the local French, I mean, the, they are on. Um, it, I don't, it doesn't get as much coverage over here, to be honest. The club rugby, obviously, once the Heineken Cup ticks off, you know, I might tune in a bit more and see the, the club size. But I um, no, I, I, I couldn't really tell you too much in that regard. But the, like I say, they've, they've well, arguably the the world's best player at nine at the moment, and um, and plenty of other big hellishly big uh, back rowers and second rowers that can smash the hell out of breakdowns and then tackles and cause all sorts of uh, mayhem on the field. Uh, you're, look, I tell you what, you're right around Anton de Pont. He is probably head and shoulders the best play- rugby player in the world. His box kicking, the control he has, the pace he runs a game, is it's kind of out of this world at the moment. And I tell you what, the, the French... What they said, Kempe, and this is kind of talks for that club scene, they said that this was a win for the 1,900 clubs of French rugby. So they are looking at this like they're not just building a squad. They're trying to build a platform to be successful as a bound nation for a long time, which is quite a scary thing. Scott, we'll get you out on this. Um, Eddie Jones, like we wondered if he lost the room years ago. <laughs> He's still there. We, what, what's the public opinion and what's the, the rugby groundswell around Eddie Jones at the moment? Yeah, it's not great. Not great. A lot of my mates over here are um, 
yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he's saying he's probably got a shorter leash because he's Australian, which, you know, is potentially there as well. I, I don't, he just doesn't help himself. He comes, um, you know, in the media, he comes across as a, well, he just comes across like an Aussie, really, doesn't he? So, um, <laughs> Perfect. Quite, sm- <laughs> quite smarmy with how he, how he deals with questions and he's... Um, yeah, he tends to dance around. I just think he, he, he he's a hard well, he's a hard person to like at the best of times. I mean, I, I've um, you know he was I know a few of the, the Leicester Tiger boys, and you know they were they were pretty positive of of how you know his coaching style, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the the, the lease is is quite short, but then again, we are what are we eighteen months away from a World Cup, so you know there's no chance of um, um, no chance of there being any changes, but. It's it's interesting, you know, his where Eddie's been. You know, it's quite common knowledge. His, um, you know, he has a big effect early on, and then the wheels start to fall off his sides, which is potentially what's happening now. Eighteen month Eddie, you know, but somehow he's he's just well, yeah. he's he's been kind of I don't know ballroom dancing on the plank for another eighteen months. It's well longer. It's it's been quite remarkable. So be interesting to see what happens and how England react to another three loss Six Nations. It's been awesome to catch up, mate. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully do it again sometime. It's it's great to get your knowledge on the game in the north, and it's cool to hear that you're still following along down here as well. So it's been a pleasure. Not a problem. Thanks very much. There you go, Scott Hamilton, um, Crusader, played 60-odd games for the Crusaders, 150-odd for Leicester Tigers. So understands the concept of what rugby means in the north and exactly what they're doing up there. Oh, look, Eddie Jones, he's, a, he's an enigma, really. He is an absolute enigma. He fights with his back against the wall no matter what. Here's what he had to say following the series, uh, the Six Nations, and look, England well, well beaten by Ireland and France both and three lost Six Nations, which is never good for an English coach. Here's what Eddie had to say about France and where his squad is at. Well, France are deserved champions of the Six Nations. They are the best team. Uh, I was pleased with the spirit and purpose our team played with. You know, we created enough opportunities to win the game, but we weren't quite clinical enough in doing that. And that's been a, a little bit of the story of us in the in the Six Nations. We put ourselves in position to win the three games we've lost, but not being clinical enough, not being good enough, particularly in in some of our clean out work on the ball, uh, to win those games. So that's disappointing. But the spirit we show is going to make sure that this team keeps moving in the right direction. Yeah. Well, the World Cups, uh, by my calculation at least 14 months away. Uh, we've got about 11 test matches and within that time we need to improve our, our breakdown work. We need to improve our ability to, to finish opportunities we create and if we do that then the difference will be uh, absolutely marginal. So there you go. Eddie Jones is trying to time his run to the World Cup. He knows exactly how long he's got and he probably knows exactly how much air he has left in the room. Here's what I want to know from you though. France is paying $3 for the World Cup. New Zealand, $3.50. For me, that is the most false second favourite you will find in a Rugby World Cup market this, this century. We are not 50 cents worse than France. We are $2.50 worse than France. Did you watch the Six Nations? And where do you feel we are at compared to the Northern Hemisphere internationals? And you can be a patriot if you want and try and deny that they are not just getting further and further away from us. But as Scott points out, the lack of the pressure cooker situation, and are we playing in a rugby eco chamber down here in Super Rugby at the moment? 
Kimpy, I want to know from you, and I want to know from you on the Kinatire phone line, 0800-150-811. Are we in a rugby echo chamber? Are you worried? 50 cents for the market, the difference between France and New Zealand? I think you're having me. Plenty to debrief from the weekend, including what the hell is going on with the Warriors? How can we be sitting here after round two looking at a game which should have been put away about four or five separate times and asking how were they not ready for this season? Kempe, um look, there's a, this could be down to a, put down to a fitness thing. It could be put down to a leadership thing. But whatever it is, fans and Look, Warriors, punters that gave them the benefit of the doubt, like yourself, at the start of the season, you'd just be hurting, won't you? Yeah, yeah, look, I, I guess, you know, to, your heart's hurting, your your mind goes, well, you know, there's obviously some issues. I think if, we, if you drill it back and keep drilling back to what the core of the issue is, you know, if they're not ready, then there are people that get them ready. Um, there's Then you drill it back further, and if they're not being prepared to be ready, then... There's obviously a respect issue. So, look, I think I think you know the further you 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 drill it down, you sort of come back to the to the issue, and it's when you when you when you basically want to play for a club, you respect the whole club, and and that's part of that DNA about the club. And if you show up, and I think at the moment they've shown up, and they're they're short of a gallop. Um, the problem isn't that one player is short of a gallop. There's quite a few that are short of a gallop. And that just there's a bit of a respect issue going on there. Um, you've got a good text here. Look, I believe what Kempe says is true about the Warriors not being able, uh, not being ready. But you can talk to anyone in that organisation, and they're not going to say that other than we're not quite there at the moment. They might say a couple of um, things about being ready, but I'll doubt whether you'll get the truth. And that's from Mark. And and yeah, that's a spin. Like the spin doctor puts it on and says, you know, we 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 are heading in the right way. And, and for me, when I heard Nathan Brown speak on the weekend, I, I heard panic in his voice. You know what I mean? I heard panic in his in his responses about, you know, we're not a development club anymore. They've got to get out there. They've mm. got to do better, you know. And then you hear Josh Curran come out and he says, you know, we, we've made some really dumb errors and we, we've got to be better than that. And I'm just sitting here going, mate, that's like once or twice a year, not like for the first two weeks you want to be saying things like that. It's, it's like they're starting to... Get a little bit nervy. Well, it's like you come in and you think, what are we going to be doing after week eight? What are we going to be saying <laughs> uh, in two months' time, not two rounds? This is a good text from James. The disconnect is when Reese Walsh tries to grab with the ball three or four times on the third tackle and Ash Taylor not doing anything against his old team. James, Ash Taylor was disappointing for me. I thought he would, I said on Friday, Watching the Warriors against the Titans, a golden opportunity to set, set the standard for the season and Ash Taylor to set the standard, his personal standard for the season. He let us down. Reese Walsh let us down. Yeah, and, so, you, and you can't have your spine letting you down. You know, like, like waiting. But so who's, jump- Kimby, whose fault's that? Is that? Is that, does that onus go on the player? Reese Walsh has to be better and has to make that catch. Reese Walsh has to know that he needs to tuck the ball and not kick it? Or does that come from a messaging thing from those that are meant to be teaching and coaching Reese Walsh? Who where does the onus go? Well, the onus goes on the player when he's out on the football field. Like coach can only get you get you done, you know, and get you ready. It's like what Alan says, you know, I've done everything I can do now, now it's up to the jockey and the horse to go out there and deliver for me. It's the same it's the same analogy. Coach prepares you all all off season, all week, getting getting you ready to follow some structures and follow the system. Now when players go out there and they start to kick the ball on the third tackle willy-nilly, 
Um, you know, they're, they're not listening to the, the structured play that the coach wants them to play, like Ash Taylor and Cody Nicarima haven't done in the first two weeks. You've got a problem with that communication line. There's something wrong. There's a blockage in there somewhere, and I don't know what that is. That's what I'm saying. Is it, is it, a, is it a lack of respect for what Nathan Brown is saying and what he's trying to achieve? So, um, but I, I was more disappointed about Ash Taylor um, than anyone because I thought he's had the perfect opportunity to step in a side and show that you know he wanted to lead and game manage a side, which he which he can do. He's a, he's at that age where he can do that. But you lose Sean Johnson, Ash Taylor doesn't stand up, and now we're saying that that Chanel Harris Tavita, who the club had let him go, is our best player in the spine. Now again, you've got a massive issue because. <laughs> If you're talking a lack of respect and you're saying to the best player in your spine, you can go elsewhere, mate, Isaiah Papali, you know, oh. best player at Parramatta. I, I, I just want to be really clear. Like, um, you you and me both, and I know this because we've talked about it off here, we are not saying that this is the season doom and gloom done. There is, nah, pl- there is so much time to come and there is so much opportunity for the Warriors to knuckle down and fight and show us that they care. But... After round two, and just remember how grumpy we were when the season ended. Let's put it in perspective to the end of last year. After round two, when you think about all that context of how disappointed we were, how are we sitting here saying there's a lack of effort, there's a lack of direction, and the basics and kind of conditioning don't look to be right? So where's the message getting broken up? Double eight, double three, oh eight hundred, one five zero, eight eleven. We're not having, we're not putting the burden for the sake of it. Trent says the Warriors have too many fast twitch fiber athletes and need to get the balance right with slow twitch athletes required, i.e., the, i.e., greater aerobic capacity. Oh, Trent, I mean, I take, I take your text, but. Like these these guys get paid a lot of money. They can turn themselves into an aerobic athlete. Like they can run more. Matt Walsh, heat exhaustion round two after doing a full preseason up there. Look, it just doesn't sound right. You know, like he never told me. Like you don't need to be told when you're living in a confined space with each other. You can see it. You know what I mean? Like he never told me he was he wasn't right, and and he had to come off and we decided that he wouldn't get back on. Come on, man. You know you've got fourteen thousand staff members around you that that have breakfast with them, that see them at training, the physio sees them, gets massage, and not one of your staff members alluded that Matt Lodge wasn't right. H- you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Hey, there's nothing that's going to be lost in travel this year. <laughs> no. And but hey, they're not going to be the most travelled team in the NRL this year. No, well, there's no, well, there's no excuses. Look, I feel for them that they're not playing in front of a home crowd. I think they will play in the front of the home crowd by the, end so. of, by the end of the year. but. As the season goes on, you thank God it's only round two, but what happens if it gets to round four, round six, round eight, and you're four games behind the top four, and, and then you're back in the bottom four chasing two games to get to them, then it becomes a chasing game, mate. You're like that, you're like that horse at the back of the race that missed the kick and got stuck in the <laughs> stuck in the um in the jump out, you know what I mean? So, you know, well, and that's what's happened at the moment. They've missed it. They've missed the kick. There's no Cinerama story here, Kimpy. Well, there might be, and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope hope there is. Look, I just wanted it so bad. I wanted to watch them on Saturday and go, man, they are trying. They are absolutely busting their asses. And this is where it's like scary parallels for that guy wearing the Warriors jersey. So you can think about piling it on. eh? At the moment, you're piling it on. You know, week on week, you're you're in you're in an outhouse, and it's just piling on top of each other. It's just you know you're out there well, in the in team environment. In the team environment. Now imagine now that the owner starts to get annoyed, and he starts piling it on. You know what I mean? And then the CEO starts to feel the pressure, and then he starts piling on. because you know what is really deathly silent at the moment is the CEO. 
he has been vocal over the last two seasons. Well, but yes, but and like we and I've this is the third time. It's week two. We know that. We are aware of that. We're not going early. We're not riding them off. So don't you know? I don't want. <laughs> no, but I'm not saying that. What I'm saying no. is, when they start to come, then it starts to feel like real heat in there's the only, house. There's only one option: keep cool. They need to stay calm. They can't panic, but they need to answer these questions. Oh, and they need a win. Big time. Pressure release, win. Here's our man Vossi, SEN breakfast over in Sydney, eleven seventy. This was the end of the game. He called it. That's me. Is it you? 0800-150-811-883. I'm baffled and I want better and I think we're going to get it at some stage but I just don't want to wait too long. But right now we're going to look at the Women's World Cup, the Cricket World Cup, which we've been broadcasting on SCNZ. It's been unbelievable to have um, so much interest in this tournament and so many people keen to get stuck in and really, really... Well, I guess feel passionate about this side, Kempi. Here's one. White Ferns, it's just heartbreaking because we know they are a better team than that and we have produ- we have not produced in this tournament. That is from Grant Elliott, and I think that sums it all up. Debbie Hockley is a Hall of Famer. She played many times for New Zealand, um, always with honour, and, and I ha- has been following along this tournament as close as anyone. She's been good enough to join us on the show this morning. It's a great privilege to be able to catch up with Debbie in a morning where we probably won't be talking what we want to talk about. Debbie, yesterday a, a hard one to take yet again? Yeah, kia ora, guys. Uh, yes, it was. Um, uh, very gripping match, but I know that the girls, they'll, they'll be completely and utterly devastated after that loss last night. So I feel for them very much. I've I've been in that situation before, you know, when I was playing cricket, especially a um, couple of times, uh, you know, losing very close matches, a couple of times losing World Cup finals. And it's it's very, very gutting. And I think that uh, they will, they've got a few days off now before their, before their last uh, round robin match against Pakistan and Christchurch on Saturday. And uh, I think they'll be a very, <clears throat> excuse me, subdued bunch, really, thinking of, uh, what might have been? Hey, Debbie, disappointing for for players and fans alike. What what needs to change? Do changes need to be made? Um, <clears throat> look, I think it's to be to be honest. I think that you know, after after any tournament like this, there'll be you know lots of reflection. And to be honest, I just think it's far too early to talk about things like that, especially since they haven't even finished playing the tournament yet. So. I think that all they'll be doing is focusing on seeing if they can have a, a really good, what may well be the finish to their tournament against Pakistan uh, on Saturday. And I think that that's all that they'll be focusing on. They've got, you know, the, the girls who are in the team, they've they've spent a lot of time preparing for this tournament. Um, you know, they've worked really hard to keep themselves safe from COVID by sort of being in their own bubble uh, and I think that um, just far too early to talk about things like that when they haven't finished the tournament yet. Debbie, a lot, a lot has been made, and I think unfairly at times, about mental strength and, and fortitude and 
specific moments because I don't know how you'd even know what exactly an athlete is thinking in the moment they're going about things. So I think that's unfair to kind of criticise and, and run assumptions on that. But what we do know is they've lost big moments in games over and over again. Is there anything you've seen and you've been able to relate back to your own playing days that could explain why they can't win these massive moments in games? Uh, no, I actually, I honestly don't have an answer for that. Um, the only thing I, I suppose is, uh, what would be, what would be, I think what's helpful for teams overseas, like say England, Australia, I think that they perhaps get subjected to a higher level of domestic competition more regularly, so if, with the Women's Bash Big Women's Big Bash League in Australia uh, and what used to be the Kia Super League in England and now the 100, I think players from those countries have the opportunity of playing in more um, pressure situations than we do here in New Zealand. And I do think that uh, the more exposure you have to pressure situations, the more you're adept at managing them when games come around and I think even though we do have um, some of our White Ferns players play in both of those competitions uh, even last year in the Women's Big Bash League for example you know we only had one player but really because of our COVID situation and the quarantining here which is look you know that's just the way it is we've got a global pandemic but I so I think and if the World Cup had perhaps been a year earlier that some of our players would have been playing more in those high-pressure situations. And it's not necessarily something that I think that we get replicated in our domestic cricket here. And I think that experience is really the only way to um, to harden yourself for those situations. So that's probably my assessment of it. And, and also I think that uh, in the game yesterday, for example, you know, we have to give credit to the English bowlers because they had four of their bowlers uh, who uh, ended up with eight wickets between them, only going a little bit more than three and over. And so their execution of their skills yesterday really put pressure on the New Zealand batters as well. So all of those factors contribute. Debbie, so so if you're you know looking at the I guess the transition and probably doing something um, and changing it up to make a, a significant difference. What would that what would that be in you know, knowing being there yourself um, in this side in the future, what what would you what would you change to sort of make this team better? Would it be the the like you're saying of the competition, like getting them up to England or into the Australian competitions, or, or would it be something like creating a competition here in New Zealand where they get that hard hard nosed cricket week in, week out? Ah, but it could potentially be a combination of both, I suppose. Um, I think that uh, you know having the having the competition uh, domestically here would be terrific, and I think that you know we we do the the positive thing that I see is that we've got a you know we've got a really good crop of uh, younger players coming through, which will give more competition to the established players, um, and I think that that will be helpful. So. Um, Next domestic season, for example, uh, I would hope that 
uh, you know, within our domestic competition within New Zealand, that there would be, um, you know, stronger competition for places within the white ferns. And it may be that we have, uh, you know, it, once the COVID situation sort of settles down a little bit for New Zealand, I, I really don't think we can kind of underestimate the impact that that's had. Then maybe we will be able to have more players who are able to play both in England and in Australia, because I think that that will ultimately help um, our performance back here. It does become a real chicken-egg scenario, doesn't it, whether you want immediate results so you send them offshore to get that um, level or you invest and you kind of need to do a bit of both. I think that's what you're trying to explain. Well, yes. Part, yeah, and, it, yep. and it, it is a, it's, look, it's very complicated. It's not an easy fix. And I don't pity the decision-makers at NZC. Just on a more positive note, though, Debbie, I mean, you've been a, a huge advocate for women's cricket for so long and... Th- have you noticed the la- so the opposite of apathy? We care so much. We're so disappointed. Like, isn't that just awesome that we genuinely are gutted for them because we thought that they could go on to do great things? And in a weird way, like it's sad that they might not have got the results. But have you noticed the amount of care and interest in cricket during this World Cup? Oh, absolutely. It has been the most amazing tournament. And I've said many times, I, I think it's a miracle that this tournament's happened. And I've been... Very, um, I've said many, many times how much I admire the local organising committee within New Zealand who's worked tirelessly with the ICC and with the New Zealand government just to, you know, we've we've got to just to have this tournament taking place. We've got a we've got a World Cup which has been the most gripping viewing, I think, of any World Cup, and I and I would be I would be happy to say probably you know, whether it's men's or women's cricket, I think that this World Cup has provided more close finishes and more gripping games than any other that I have either been involved with or seen before. So I think it's just testament to the amount of work that's gone on to actually host this tournament during New Zealand's worst time of yeah. uh, our pandemic. I, I, look, I, I seriously think it's a miracle, and I think you know we've been treated to some wonderful cricket. I totally agree with it. It's lovely to talk about the. I mean, I know it's really disappointing from the White Ferns' point of view, but it, it, it it's exactly what you say. It's been so nice having the amount of interest. You know, people talking about the these players by their first names it's kind of like having a Richie in their team because no one needs to you know explain who Richie is uh, and even the crowd at the game yesterday at Eden Park you know when New Zealand had that wonderful fight back against England which we shouldn't underestimate either um, I, you know the crowd was clapping every ball and cheering and it was you know it was it was just a huge atmosphere and that's something that i i really haven't seen here for a very long time so i think this this whole world cup here has um there are far more positives to it than um the disappointment of the white ferns uh, perhaps not getting through uh, to the semi finals it's been wonderful i have loved it hey debbie so who wins it and why uh, i think australia would be i think australia is going to win it and uh, because they've demonstrated not only through this tournament, but since the last World Cup tournament in 2017, they have demonstrated that they have uh, become such a, a formidable unit. They have talent right throughout their team. They have strong competition for their places, and they just they have enough uh, experienced heads that if they get into a difficult situation, they just play their way through it. So, for me. Australia will certainly be one of the finalists, but what I'm not sure about at the moment, who who will be the other 
finalist and I don't even know at this point who's going to be the semi-finalist and that shows what a fantastic tournament is where, you, where you've got lots of teams who are still vying for those places. Yeah. So really my, my last point that I'd just like to say if we're finishing soon is while it's really disappointing for the White Ferns and I know that they'll be disappointed, uh, they have shown a lot of grit and determination at points throughout their matches and you, even though they might not have achieved the result that they want to, it's not been through any lack of effort or determination or passion on their part. And I really just want to um, emphasise that point. No, no, and I, I can't see anyone uh, disagreeing with you because, Debbie, from my point of view, you, you've, I've listened and I've watched them be gutted and disappointed in their results. Yep. And I don't think anyone will be beating themselves up more than they are today, this morning. No, um, so, that's correct. Yeah, no, no, they take your point and I appreciate your time this morning. It's been a pleasure to watch you um, cover this tournament and enjoy the rest of it. Thank you very much. Thanks for the chance to say hi this morning. SCNZ, uh, Baznazi for breakfast. Great to have your company this morning. Gee, some of you are quick-witted as well. Just leave your name and where you're from on the text machine. Kempi, how's this one? Yeah, some is, <laughs> for the Warriors to be on a roller coaster, don't they need to have some ups and, and as well as some downs? It's like, yep, they just hit the launch pad at the moment. <laughs> well, there will be some ups. Because there otherwise be ups. you're just on a slide. Yeah, mate, that's like cool. That's like jumping out of a plane. That's like it's like free diving. Driving down Parnell Rise and your car breaking down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All very right. good, very good. No no name on that text. So put your name on your text when you send them in so that we know who you, who you are. Brilliant. It's time for a Monday morning health check with Newsist, who are powering the next generation of New Zealand athletes. The, uh, that green good stuff is vital. I tell you that. It is delicious. Chuck it in your smoothies. And we all know Kempi loves the surf down the knacky and who wouldn't? Yeah, Paige Harab um, and the crew. So who better to keep an eye out for him in the ocean than the captain of the New Zealand Junior Blackfins and current Junior World Ironwoman champion for surf lifesaving? It's Claudia Kelly. She's an ambassador for New Zest and she's with us on the line. Morning, Claudia. How are you doing? Morning. I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Thanks for joining the show this morning. It's a deluge. I don't know where you're based, but it's a deluge up in Auckland, so not exactly the best surf life-saving weather. But you've been out over the summer enjoying your craft? Yeah, it's been amazing. We've actually had probably one of my best summers ever in the Naki. Um Nice waves, nice weather, and it's been yeah, really, really hot, which has been absolutely, absolutely amazing. Yeah, those, those easterlies... Um, Claudia down there have obviously kept the kept the the big swells away, but you know you must be enjoying getting out there and training um, as much as you can at the moment with El Nina. Yeah, it's actually been so nice. Um, I'm currently down in the Nina, so it's um, a little bit of a change, but um, it's definitely been one of the best summers I've had in a while. Are you down there at uni? Are you at Dunedin? I'm doing um, a biomedicine degree. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and what, what year are you in? I'm in second year. So how do you juggle that with your competing and, and uh, all of your surf life-saving um, ambitions there, Claudia? Are you, are you getting around the country or have you done much travel and, and much competing over the last, say, 18 months? Well, it's been a bit rough with COVID, to be honest. Um, we have had most of our competitions cancelled this year, but I've had uh, lots of trials for the New Zealand Blackfins team because we've got um, World Championships in Italy coming up. Um, so I'm just waiting on selections for those. We've got one more workshop to do, and then we find out about that. But uni-wise, it's, it's all right. It's pretty rough um, trying to balance the both 
of them. I was doing first year health science last year, which is a notoriously hard course, obviously. Um, so that was that was a bit of a challenge, but I keep it up by just um, doing lots of swimming and a bit of um, like ski paddling and kayaking over winter. How does a um, New Zealand junior blackfins and current junior world iron woman champion celebrate St Patrick's Day? <laughs> um, very very quietly, I must say. Um, I had two swim sessions and um, four lectures to do, so it was a bit of an early night. Knew it. <laughs> so you were in part you were in part of the couch <laughs> the couch burning exercise on Castle Street then on St Paddy's Day. <laughs> Um, I try to try to keep the couch burning to a minimum, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's smart. Very, very smart. You've got too much on your plate. It sounds like you're very, very busy. Now, is it true that you, you've got some family ties to elite sport? You, you guys are a very fit bunch, the Kellys, I hear. Yes. Um, my, so both my sister and my brother were in the New Zealand Secondary Schools cross-country team. So my brother competed at the World Champs in Malta, um, and my sister has competed, um, I think, about four times for New Zealand um, in Australia and then over at World Champs in Budapest. I got down to the Parnell Baths yesterday, Claudia, and uh, tried to do some laps for the first time in a long time. It's salt water down there. Any tips for when you're swimming and you're kind of... Goggles. Uh, and, and you're sw- swallowing a bit of that salt water to, A, not swallow it, and then how to not get distracted by the taste of it? Um, I usually keep, keep my mouth closed when I'm swimming, to be honest. <laughs> keep your mouth um, closed. But you've got to breathe like, when you turn your head, is <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I do. I'm not sure. Maybe breathe, breathe out when you turn your head. Although I guess you're breathing in when you do that. Um, I don't know. Sorry, can't help you there. Hey, Claudia, you're out of the East End Club. I'm guessing. Are you up there or? Are you from? Yes, sure I am. Yeah, yeah, East Sydney, yeah, Fitzroy. What, um, what's it like? I've always wondered, you know, because you come, you know, we come from that beautiful spot in Taranaki, and and it's you know brutal at the best best of times and and massive surf. What's it like when you're going to compete against um, someone like Red Beach that lives on the east coast? Uh, you know, and you guys have, and or, or what's it like when they come to the west coast and you're you're you know, it's a big surf day and you look at them and go. Yeah, yeah, we're going to really sort the men out from the boys today, type thing. Do you have that type of attitude? Um, not too, not too much to be honest, because we do do a lot of flat water training, especially during the winter, because you know you don't really want to get out. Um, and thing. Um, so we do a lot of lake training, but also when you're out in the surf all the time, that get, that gets you so fit. Um, when you're constantly having to, like, maybe you've been hit by a wave and you're constantly having to try and get. Yeah, trying to get back up to speed. Um, that actually it, it burns you. It's really good. So we find we do quite well um, when we go to the flat stuff. I actually had a, had a trial at Red Beach um, about a month ago, and um, yeah, it was it was all good. I think I think it is a bit of a struggle for um, flat beaches when they come over to um, our big waves, though. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And Kempi, I'm sure Claudia gives the men and the boys a good run for their oh, money. Absolutely. Uh, hey, talk to us about <laughs> talk to us about Newsest and how they've supported you through your young career. Newsest has been absolutely amazing, to be honest. Um, it's always hard as an athlete to find a brand, especially a protein brand, that you can trust. Um, I do get I get drug tested, um, and obviously want to be want to be a clean athlete and this is amazing because I mean they're one hundred percent um natural and um especially the, the good greens I find that awesome keeps um keeps the immune system boosted. Um I mean I'm a student so flat cooking is great to be supplemented. Um 
buy some extra protein here and there and, um, you know, some extra extra goodness through the good greens as well. Outstanding. It is a, a super product. And do you know what? That's what we hear from everybody, that it's just so nice to be able to trust them as well. A new approach to feeling great. It's not just a boost for today, but nutrition for life. Claudia, it's been a privilege to chat to you this morning. Good luck with your studies and in the surf as always, and stay, stay clear of those torched couches, eh? <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having Good me. Good luck, Claudia. No worries. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.